9. From the National Newsroom of Broadcast News, this is Jerry Smith. U.S. producers say the latest WTO ruling on softwood gives them backing. The World Trade Organization says Canada's dumping subsidized softwood onto the American market. Canada asked the world body to find the U.S. International Trade Commission made a mistake when it found American producers are being hurt by softwood imports. WTO finds fault with a previous approach to evaluating the impact of imports, but it denies Canada's request. The U.S. determination is invalid. Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister hopes to do some arm twisting today in Washington, but it's not likely Peter McKay will have much success. McKay meets in the U.S. Capitol with American Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice for the first time. Canadian press reporter Beth Borum says Washington maintains it will proceed with new U.S. security requirements, including passports, for travelers crossing the Canada-U.S. border. Canada, of course, is very opposed to having requiring passports for people crossing over into the United States. But U.S. officials say here that they will not delay it, they will not stop it, and that's that. McKay wants to see the measure slowed down or scrapped altogether. Graham McMinn may speak today about his eight-day ordeal. His Vancouver family has planned a news conference. Heavily armed police staged raids on more than a dozen homes and freed the 23-year-old kidnapped victim in dramatic fashion yesterday. Here's Vancouver Police Inspector Tom McCluskey. Well, we acted because we felt his life was in danger all along. I mean, we, we had no information to the contrary. We had no information on his health, and we had to assume, as investigators, we had to assume that his health would be deteriorating after eight days. Police say they have laid charges against six people in the case and more charges are likely. The Conservatives are planning to overhaul the National Capital Commission. The changes would be the first big ones at the federal agency in decades. The 47-year-old agency manages federal government lands in and around Ottawa. It's long been criticized by residents for not seeking public input or providing enough transparency. If Zacharias Moussaoui is sentenced to life instead of death, might he someday escape? The first witness called by the defense today says it's not likely. Prison policy expert James Aiken says Moussaoui would always have the highest level of supervision. He'd also be isolated from other prisoners as well as from the outside world. We're sorry. That apology from the Missouri couple, which duped people into sending them money by claiming they were the new parents of sextuplets. Sarah and Chris Everson are also vowing to pay back everyone who either sent them money or baby items. Police say the investigation is continuing and criminal charges are pending. This is the BN Report. In sports, it could be all over for the Canucks tonight. A Vancouver loss in regulation time in San Jose, coupled with an Oiler win over visiting Anaheim, and the Canucks' playoff dreams are over. The Sharks beat Vancouver 5-4 in overtime last night to secure their playoff berth. Elsewhere, Atlanta hosts Washington in a key Eastern matchup. Thrashers four points behind Tampa for eighth in the conference. The Leafs, one point behind Atlanta, are in Long Island tonight. Cleveland says NBA All-Star LeBron James is day-to-day with a sprained left ankle. He was injured in the third quarter of the Cavs' 96-73 loss to Detroit. Cleveland hosts the Knicks tonight. In the NBA, uh, other NBA play, Steve Nash and the Suns host Dallas. The Mavs are one-and-a-half games behind Southwest Division-leading San Antonio. Orlando hosts San Antonio in the only other game tonight. This is Broadcast News.
sounds of the world in one place. Chin Radio Ottawa, 97.9. Today's cross-cultural talk program has been presented in part by Barrick Polson LLP. Practical legal services with no surprises. 236-0939. Hello, welcome to the program for Thursday. This is Cross-Cultural Talk with Gary Michaels, uh, my co-host Ernie Tennis, as we uh, continue on our journey uh, along the route of ADR and uh, back for a return engagement. I believe this is her third or fourth visit with us. I think fourth. I think, I think it's gonna, my fourth. I, I think yeah. you and Ambassador John McDonald are Are we in competition? Close. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Cooperation. Well, that's nice company to be in, that's for sure. Melinda... McDonald. That's right. Is with us, fresh from Thailand, That's Bangkok. Correct. Yes. Were you in Bangkok? Bangkok is our head office, actually, but it's yeah. um, it's actually a seven country project. But wow. the head office is in Bangkok because Bangkok is a regional hub. Uh-huh. But uh, we also work in Cambodia. We work in Vietnam. We work in Laos. We work in the Philippines, Timor Leste, wow. and Indonesia. So Jeez. it's a big regional project. Wow. It's amazing. And uh, McDonald, no relation, and spelled different. That's right. right. There's no relation. And I acquired my name. He, yeah. I think he was born with it. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, wonderful. Yeah. I'm wonderful so, to have you back. It Thank is. You. It it's is wonderful indeed. to be back. Thank you so much. And uh, I know you're, uh, you're in town to visit folks and, uh, and Easter, and then you're off again. Yes, as a matter Jeez. of fact, I am. I'm off to Singapore. Uh, for a conference on uh, migrant workers, which is a, a huge problem around the world, actually, not just in that part of the world. It's certainly a problem here. I'm sure you've seen the news in the United yeah. States and yeah. the whole issue around migration. And I understand that in Canada, we have some of those same issues. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so and then I'm in Vietnam for a week and then I'm back in Bangkok. Wow. Wow. It's around, eh? So early. Well, you know, well, Gary, she flew, flies in on uh, Monday and she flies out next week. You know, yeah. from, I mean, Tuesday. I go to Toronto, Montreal. I go to uh, I go to Bayshore, Carlingwood. <laughs> <laughs> there are and, days uh, when I don't want to be traveling. And my uh, my sister-in-law, Gina's going to go to Beirut and Hassan, my co- the cousin, and they're all in Beirut. The, the extended family's in Beirut and I wish I can go, but... Uh, Someday. You said we can do a show from Beirut We one can. Day. We will one day. Yeah, Or yeah. maybe we'll do a couple of shows from there. One why not? That'd be great, yeah, eh? Yeah, yeah Go sure. with uh, Yumna. Now, the other night, uh, just talking about a couple events that are current. The other day, mm-hmm. there was the celebration of Prophet Muhammad's birthday, and there was an mm-hmm. event at the Museum of Science and Technology. A great Lebanese professor who speaks Arabic, English, French, reads Greek, Latin, and uh, all the rest of it. And he did a whole study on how Western science really took a lot of its lead from the Arab Muslim right. world. It was really, really interesting. And... Um, and then there's Easter this weekend. Yes. Uh, Passover. 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 Yeah. Uh, and happy, what is it, Passage? For, for the happy Passover for our, our Jewish friends. Yes. And it's the same night, of course, as the uh, Last Supper for the Christians. And, of course, next week is the Orthodox Easter because right. the two different calendars. And we are exactly. supposed to have a Father Gattas in next week to talk about wow. uh, 
the Orthodox view because we've had so many other religious elements in. So I'm looking forward to uh, that. We wish um, everyone in the communities um, yeah. all the best for all these uh, celebrations. And yeah. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about what we're doing today, Ernie. Yes, well, let's talk about, a little bit about Melinda again. Oh just to, just to uh, <laughs> I'll just summarize this 10-page <laughs> beautiful uh, study of her, of her work. She's going to be completing her PhD, I think, uh, on on, um, on what is it going to be going to be it's on? It's a combined, um, uh, actually, interdisciplinary uh, PhD on human rights and cl- uh, conflict transformation, which is an area, actually, that is becoming more and more prob- prominent because people realize that they need to include, as you've been saying for years, Ernie, the whole idea of peace building and conflict resolution and the whole idea of respectful resolutions as opposed to just looking at rights. Well, that's uh, <clears throat> that's good to hear that there's going to be more uh, thinking done in that area. And, you know, Melinda's done a lot of thinking in practice here with this search project. That's the um, Southeast Asia Regional Cooperation and Human Development Rule of Law and Human Rights. So we'll talk to you more about that. You're, you've been 15 years in ADR and you've been with many <laughs> other um, ADR organizations. Uh, and you and I go back a long way, you know, Melinda, in terms of yes, all your do. work. And you've been here to talk about this incredible work that you've been doing with um, people in Thailand. I have this amazing PowerPoint presentation (laughs) that you did on parliamentary democracy Mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. I'm just wondering if um, you wouldn't mind just updating our listeners and ourselves about the the nature of this project. And in the second segment, we'll talk about the details. And Mm -hmm. then we'll talk about the really interesting conversation we had with um, Bob Miller, the executive director of Parliamentary... The Parliamentary Centre, which has been there for 64, uh, since 64. Yeah, and he'll yeah. be a guest on a future show. And uh, <clears throat> So why don't you um, just update uh, us about this project as a whole, what you've been doing to date. Okay. Um, well, first of all, as you, as you said, Ernie, it's a, um, a rule of law human rights project, and we have three major partners. We have something called uh, the ASEAN Working Group. ASEAN, for those of you who don't know what ASEAN is, is essentially like the European Union. It's the union of all these various Asian states, and their head office is in Jakarta, Indonesia. And one of the things that they've done uh, recently that, um, you know, we are uh, very excited about is they've approved something called the Vientian Action Plan. Vientian happens to be the capital of Laos. And essentially what it says is they want to set up a Women and Children's Commission regionally. They want to uh, have uh, human rights education in the schools. Uh, They would like a migrant workers mechanism. And this is really a breakthrough because ASEAN has not even wanted to talk about human rights. They haven't wanted to even mention human rights in anything. And now that they've done is they've tasked a group that has been working quietly for the last 15 years um, to as a dialogue mechanism between ASEAN and uh, civil society called the ASEAN Working Group to go ahead and create, help create these things. And we are funding them. Uh, we are also working with uh, the UN, the, um, uh, the UN Interagency Project uh, Against Trafficking, because one of our areas is around migration. And unfortunately, 
many migrants are extremely vulnerable, and as they travel, and especially if they're illegal, they become uh, victims of trafficking. And yes, you're talking about hu- trafficking of human beings. Of human beings. And we're not talking about just sexual... Um, I mean, this is often when people think of trafficking, they think of trafficking as a sexual thing, and it has to do with women only. Yeah. But the fact is, it's not. I mean, there are children who are trafficked. There, um, there are people who are essentially indentured labor or slave laborers. They're very badly treated. They're badly abused. Some of them end up dead, missing, etc. So... It's it's really important to them to do something about their their migrant workers, and so what we've been doing essentially is we are we've been in our setup phase where we've uh, visited the various countries, we've done a, a scope of what some of the issues are, and what we really believe in is we shouldn't be bringing in anything new. We should be helping to facilitate what's already there. Because, I mean, obviously they know their countries better than we could ever know them and they know their problems better than we can ever know them. So instead of starting some whole new thing, we want to work with three partners in the area. And another one is, is basically a group of NGOs called Forum Asia. And we feel that's the right approach to development. That, that we go in there and we help them facilitate a discussion among themselves. We help fund them. We help provide a space for them to work through these issues. So that's where we, we are with search, if you will. But uh, it's interesting, Ernie, I went to a conference on human rights education. And I know you like to look at the big picture. And, you know, what's really, uh, I think, startling is how worried people are in that region about what's happening in the West. <clears throat> and because what they saw from the West for many years was this push uh, towards human rights and the rule of law and sort of this moral high ground. And what they're seeing is a backing away of that. And they're, they're concerned that as they push for human rights in that area and the West pushes away from that, that that might have a big effect on what actually happens in their own region and around the world. So are we closing, uh, is, is, is Western, the Western nations, are they just sort of closing their eyes to all this, turning a blind eye to what's going on over there? Well, I think it's not so much what's going on over there. I think what's happening, I mean, as far as some people are concerned in the West, is they've been sort of lulled into that sort of balance or lack of balance between security and human rights. And the security agenda has become the agenda. Mm. So just so I can understand what you're saying, I think is an important point, is that the people in that part of the world, and it's really... You know, as we always talk about that fighting fair guy, what do we see from their point of view is that they see that the, the Western values of like democracy, human rights, rule of law is now taking second place because security yes. issues are now primary. Therefore, the ideas of liberty and rule of law become secondary. Absolutely. Which and is problematic. That, that means, uh, do I take it from that then, Melinda, that the idea of the moral ground has been eroded? Well, I think many people feel that there is certainly an erosion of the moral high ground, if you will. And that's very troubling to them because they've been working in in tandem with the West, if you will. And to have that eroded at this crucial time for them, I think is is rather uh, certainly disappointing, but also frightening. When you talk about that part of the world, just so our listeners can understand. Well, we're in Southeast Asia. And um, what is the makeup? What is the ethnic, cultural, religious makeup of that part of the world? Well, that part of the world actually is mostly Buddhist, 
uh, and uh, Muslim. And there is a growing, um, for instance, uh, Indonesia is the largest uh, group of Muslims in the world. It's the largest Muslim nation in the world. And, of course, we've all heard about the Bali bombings and mm. Bali is part of Indonesia. Uh, Thailand, for example, has three provinces which are basically mostly Muslim, um, very a different ethnic group than the sort of uh, the prominent group, mo- the mostly like Malaysians. And they've been having all kinds of issues around uh, the dialogue between the Buddhists and the, and the Muslims, and it's becoming, increasingly has become acrimonious. There's been some kind of uprising just happened uh, over there recently, if I'm yes. not mistaken. People are, are, are wanting a change in, in the leadership of the government. And they've, re- they've gotten it. Yeah. Um, essentially, they, many people were very unhappy with Taksin's leadership. And it's interesting because, Ernie, you were talking about this conference and the PowerPoint presentation on uh, parliamentary democracy. And one of the things that uh, Bob Miller from the Parliamentary Center said was that there was this rise of the so-called CEO presidents and prime ministers. And that, you know, like the uh, Bellasconis and the George Bushes and the Taxines. And that... And that was just a very bad model because that model, and I hope Bob doesn't mind put my putting words in his mouth, but he basically said that that particular model of the CEO, yeah, chief executive officer, right, like a corporate, run like a rather, corporate rather run. Than a he said nation. they have one bottom line, and a country, a state, has to have more than one bottom line. It mm. can't simply look at things on a financial basis. There are all kinds of bottom lines that a state has, and he said that there's just no way that these types of leaders will ever work. And I guess the people in Bangkok agreed with him because uh, yeah. they protested endlessly yeah. and eventually they, they got rid of him. Wow. Well, this is very um, <laughs> interesting as we, you know, um, look at it from this large point of mm-hmm. view and it goes back, you know, Gary, to this whole show about alternative dispute resolution. What happens locally happens globally and it really Absolutely. is like a mirror. So you have here, like we've talked about fundamentalism as a, fundamentalism or extremism as a challenge. Yes, of all cor- kinds, by the way. All, yeah, of all of kinds. Of all kinds. What you call now corporatism, like it's a yes. corporate-driven w- world yeah. in terms of conflict resolution rather than a sovereign states and democracy. I think some of the other aspects here as I'm looking is blurring the lines between church and state. Well, exactly. And, I mean, it's interesting because one of the articles that I saw uh, in the Bangkok Post was from, um, uh, I believe he was a Lebanese uh, writer in France, and he was saying, look, all of these various groups, these extreme groups, these are extreme religious groups, not just in Islam, but in other uh, Christians, uh, etc., uh, Jews, he said, these are political parties mm-hmm. masquerading as mm-hmm. religions. Mm-hmm. They are basically mm-hmm. taking the, the religious, um, the name, and they are, they are actually political parties, and they should not, they don't have the same protection as political parties as mm-hmm. they do under religions. Yeah. And I thought that was a very interesting article. Well, that's actually. it. Very interesting because you remember, Gary, we had the uh, we've had the religious leaders here many times. Was Pastor Al McMillan and Rabbi Fine and Rabbi Brown and then mm-hmm. Syed Abbas and Syed Akwasini from the states. But what I think Syed Abbas has said when you politicize the the religious, then you get into a, a mis- misunderstanding of why there is a problem. So when you look at the heart of the religions, even if you look at the heart of secularism or humanism, right. you've got a value system that's very very common. And by politicizing Absolutely. it, um, and what's interesting, I know we're going to lead into this in the second segment, but 
you know, this show, Chin Radio, is fantastic in terms of public education. Mm-hmm. It was fun to meet with um, Ray Scaff and Lynn Whitehead at Rogers Television yesterday, Gary and I, and they're talking oh. about public education yes. generally and so on and how important. Uh, I mean, Rogers does a great job. Chin does a great job um, as media outlets on looking at the, the news that often doesn't get heard. But Absolutely. You've got here public education as part of the solution. It is. In terms of, so ADR is becoming like almost like a, a common value system in terms of restorative justice, um, participation by citizenry in the uh, how society is governed. Is that part of the big thinking that you think is happening with uh, the increasing role of ADR? I have, I think it, it is, and it's interesting. Like yeah, I, I'm surprised at how prevalent it is actually in Southeast Asia, um, where you know I've seen many many small projects that have used radio, for example, to reach audiences on very complex subjects by basically relating it back to their everyday life. Let me give you an example. Um, there was a um, a project that I evaluated uh, that Unifem. Uh, the women's organization in the United Nations had done. And it looks at something called the CEDA, which is a convention on the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women, which is a big subject. But they wanted to reach local people, local men and women, and get them to understand why it was so important that everybody in society was looked at equally. And what they did on the the radio show that the Women's uh, Network did is they took everyday experiences that people had and related them back to the convention. Mm-hmm. And they had people call in. And they, they the understanding of, of people, they, their eyes sort of, I guess, were opened by it. But, I mean, it's, it's a very uh, powerful educational tool. Most people have access to radio, um, even in very remote areas. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, certainly in that part of the world, it's, it is being used quite extensively to reach people. Well, you know, it's, uh, what, I was just going to say, yeah. it's such a personal medium. It's yeah, very it's personal. It's so personal that, you know, it does work. Absolutely. Does work. And you can, you know, have this kind of conversation. I, I often forget we're on radio when I'm in the show with Gary. We're just yeah, sort me of, too. You know, these are so <laughs> relevant to what's happening. But what was really inspiring to me, well, thanks to you, uh, met um, Mr. Miller by phone anyway with the Parliamentary Center. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny, Gary, I told you, I mean, this this guy is very interesting. This is going to be great. He's got seven locations in the world. But when I told him what Chin Radio was doing here, he said, oh, my God, what a great idea. They got, you know, they, they've been trying to think of ways to educate the public on all these kind of things. And Absolutely. the idea of ADR on the radio where people can listen everywhere, really, uh, mm-hmm. he found that terrific. So there's some mm-hmm. innovative uh, Work done well, and also, I mean, if you educate people, if you if you incru- allow them to be part of the dialogue, then they can't be sort of pulled around all over the place by you know a- extreme headlines. Let them participate. They participate exactly. Yeah. exactly. As you said, you know, it's so personal. And there's one thing you can you know you can close down like an internet, like a different country, but you know people have radios. You can listen. You can tune in almost anywhere if you've yeah. got the right frequencies and so on. So, yes. that's right. I mean, it's a, and we talk about education. Like we all have. Um, Different degrees, right? BA, the Bachelor of Arts, which also means bugger all. I have a law, law degree, LLB, which is lots and lots of bull. Well, now, you're no going for your here. PhD, which is piled higher and deeper. However, the MA, now I'm not going to say what Gary said it meant, but MA could be much ado about nothing. But apart from all the humor which we have, I mean, education, we're not talking about we're the intellectualizing about of it. We're talking about the common intelligence, the emotional and common, intelli- and common sense of the ordinary citizens, which well, gets lost important. in the equation. And it's important to have that voice because I think what happens a lot of times is that people somehow feel that they can manipulate 
the public. And they can manipulate the public more so if there isn't that dialogue. And I think obviously radio is, as we said, a very important way of reaching people. Well, since we're talking about the medium, I'd like to take just a little time out and remind uh, people who are tuning into this wonderful conversation. That this is Chin Radio, 97.9. and uh, Yes. Sorry. That's okay. No, you've trained me well. <laughs> Maybe too well. <laughs> We're going to take a little break and we'll be back with uh, Melinda McDonald and Ernie Tannis on Chin after this. Join Chin Radio weekdays from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. for a musical journey across the globe, starting with some Caribbean exposure. You want to From 7 to noon, we head to the Mediterranean for a taste of Italy. At 1 o'clock, it's off to the Middle East. And at 5, we arrive at our final stop in China. Weather and the world's best music, right here on Chin Radio 97.9. Warab's key tags aren't just for car owners. Anyone can get them, and they're for any keys you want to protect. Look for your Warab's key tags in the mail or order them at 1 800 250 3030 or warabs.ca. 236-0939 is the number to call for Barry Polson. Real estate matters, both commercial and residential, are part and parcel of the services Barry Polson can offer you. Their multifaceted bilingual staff offers professional, personalized service no matter what the need may be. Call 236-0939. Litigation, mediation, family law, tax law, licensing and technology, and so much more. Barry Polson, a multi-religious, multilingual law firm ready to serve and just a phone call away. 236 0939. This is Jim. 97.9 our cross cultural program on ADR and Melinda McDonald with Ernie Tennis and Gary Michaels. Uh, just a reminder, I just wanted to pass this. Uh, Reminder along to uh, to folks that this uh, this is the Easter weekend that we're getting into with Good Friday tomorrow, and uh, OC Transpo is going to be operating on reduced services, and oh. we'll, we'll run that whole thing down for you. But uh, just uh, for those who use public transit, uh, bear that in mind. And we don't want you to be late for church service or the Easter Bunny this week. <laughs> <laughs> remember those days. Um, you know, Melinda, we were talking about um, the funding earlier. Maybe mm-hmm. you could uh, describe a bit the amount of funding. I mean, it's, this is a good um, example of tax dollars well spent, mm-hmm. but the amount of funding, where the funding is coming from um, in this region and uh, maybe how those funds are, you said that you hand, you support other projects, but maybe talk specifically about some of the projects mm-hmm. and also if you could Talk about this PowerPoint presentation on good governance in Thailand. Right. It's the Thailand-Canada cooperation. It's a very interesting tagline, Towards Harmonized Societies. So 
you talk about about the funding and the use of the money in the program right or, or um, the although that particular just to um, uh, clarify that's a different project it's just it's one I was involved with but it hasn't anything to do really uh, directly with search but I I'll come back to that um, search itself is a nine and this is all on the public record is a nine million dollar regional project in Southeast Asia and I believe I mentioned the seven countries we're involved with um, and it's basically to promote the rule of law and to, uh, in the three focus areas, which are children's rights, migrant workers' rights, and ethnic minority rights. And um, essentially, um, the three partners, as I said, that we're working with are a group of NGOs called Forum Asia. They're a network, essentially, that have been promoting the, uh, the human rights of people in that region for the last 15, 20 years. Um, there's the UN Interagency Project. We're going to be working very closely with them. And they have a very interesting model because they deal with six governments. Um, they deal with 13 UN agencies because they're an interagency project. And they also connect up with civil society. So it's the dialogue between all of these various elements. And then, um, you know, finally, I mentioned the ASEAN Working Group, which is this dialogue group with ASEAN, which essentially is like the European Union. Um, so on the ground, as far as projects are concerned, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, Ernie, um, our view was that we, we should be supporting what the various partners um, are already involved in and connect them up into a program, if you will, into a sort of network of networks, if you will, which um, gives them an opportunity to get into areas they normally wouldn't, um, create uh, synergies in areas they normally couldn't, and uh, develop expertise amongst themselves. It's at the, the thing is, we've just actually had the project implementation plan approved as of March 31st. So we are in the initial stages. And I, if you want me to come back at some point, we can certainly give you some more on the ground uh, projects that we'll be doing. But, um, and I don't know how much detail you want right now. I was going to ask if I may. Uh Melinda, yeah, because you're into the initial stages, and I was I, I was I was curious as to how it's being received so far. Mm. It's been, re I mean, it's. Uh, you mean by CETA or by people on the by, ground? By people on the ground. Uh, very well. Um, the partners are extremely. Um, they've. It was wonderful to see this synergy that they found with each other, mm -hmm. and that that was really wonderful. I mean, Ernie, you know this. You always like to bring people together and groups together, and and see how they react to each other, and see the relationships and partnerships that they form. That for me was really rewarding to see that because they sort of knew of each other, but they didn't quite understand. What, they, what each other did or how that would be helpful to what they were doing. And it's the idea of working in a more holistic way. Um, so, I mean, there are so many elements to this particular project because it's a very complex, large regional project. But for me, what it's mostly about is it's about respect for other human beings and making sure that people have a dignified existence and, uh, you know, I mean, the whole principle of ADR that we've talked about for so many years, Ernie, the whole idea of having a dignified life and a dignified well, ADR way. ADR can mean a dignified yeah, resolution. a dignified resolution to, you know, the issues and the, and the communications uh, breakdowns and so on. So that's what it really means to me at this point. And uh, to watch these people, how much they care um, about the outcome and how much time they devote to it, um, many very high-profile individuals who sort of put themselves on the line is really gratifying for me. 
Well, to build on Gary's question, he always has good grassroots questions. Like, how many people on the ground are affected by this project? I mean, uh, could you? Is well, there potentially. Some data on well, that? no, because at the, at this point, as I said, we're right at the beginning. So, um, potentially, of course, you're talking about you know millions. I mean, because you know the idea, and we're a small project. We're in the big scheme of things. We're going to be working in an area where many other people are working. So, I mean, but. Obviously, you're that we're promoting the rights of children. We're promoting the rights of women. We're, pre- I mean, we are one voice, if you will, and there are other voices. Is the United Nations involved in any way? The United Nations mm-hmm. is involved in their interagency project, and mm-hmm. we're supporting them directly. And as I said, there are 13 UN agencies involved in that particular mm. interagency project. So yes, they're involved. Yeah. And how how long? Is this going to go for this project? This project, we are supposed to be there for three years, and the life of the project is uh, about four to five years. And you one year into it now? No, we're only about six months into it right now. So as I said, we're really at the beginning okay, stages. Eddie. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So um, when you um, can you give us the taste of what it's like? Because I know we, we go back and forth. Sometimes you call from Thailand. It's a twelve-hour. 12-hour difference, right? Yeah. And Lebanon's a seven-hour difference. I have to keep remembering uh, all these different time zones. But um, it sounds like there's so much um, you've got. Can you talk about some of the other people you're working with and how you function on a day-to-day basis? Like what what kind of things do you plan for? How do you organize all this from a structural point of view? Well, I mean, as I said, we've been sort of taking it. We were right at the beginning and we've been taking our cue from our partners. Let me give you an example of what you mentioned, the United Nations mm-hmm. and the interagency project. Um, they have uh, 12 particular areas that they're dealing with. And one of the things that we supported them with is essentially this training center. And the training center uh, brings in people like immigration officers, police, um, judges, um, people who are various levels of stakeholders and brings them into a common place where they can actually discuss issues and look at the uh, migration issues, look at issues around uh, trafficking and um, look there what the whole idea is to get them to see it in a common way across borders, if you will. And uh, that is actually something that I am is very close to my my heart because I think it's it's the training isn't just about what's trained in the classroom, if mm. you will. It's also about the relationships that are built up, the understanding that people have. I mean, the police have one understanding, the immigration officers have another, the judges have another, the politicians another, and sort of to bring it in holistically and get them to to see. The, from a three-dimensional perspective and I'll look at also the perspectives of the victims of this. And I, I use the word victim here because, I mean, it's very interesting because we had this big debate. Everybody said, well, we don't like the word victim. Yes. You know, we don't like it. And in, the, and, and in the West, often we don't like that word. But we forget that we went from victim to client-based, etc. And in that part of the world, what people have said to me is, wait a minute, we need that word right now because we've come from a point where these people were treated as perpetrators. They were looked on as perpetrators, these illegal migrant workers, and they were thrown in jail. We need people to understand that they're not perpetrators, they're actually victims. They're trying to survive. Yeah, exactly. So it's a transitional thing, and and they thought, you know, you're not being very culturally sensitive to push that view right now. You have to go through these various phases. And so that was quite an eye-opener for me. 
And I, and it, I've had a few of those. I mean, we have this idea that somehow we have the right, you know, the right box to put something in. Well, it doesn't mm. always work. Political correctness sometimes yeah. takes us overboard, I believe. Right. Yeah. And we lose our focus. And it's not just over there. I mean, look at the United no. States are having a huge issue with millions of what they call illegal right. immigrants. Yeah. Exactly. It's like in our own backyard and even exactly. in Canada. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Now you're hearing about people being deported who've been here for 20 years and there's... Uh, and contributing to the country and to society and, and everything else, right? And they're there because there's a need, let's yeah, face it. come on. I mean, they're there because there's a need. And this is the thing, I mean, and this is why one of the things that I think is interesting is to look at it more from an interest-based approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact is that uh, if you take countries that are receiving countries and you take countries that are sending countries, they need each other because the economy of much many of the receiving countries actually need these people mm-hmm. and it's you know if you look at it solely in terms of rights it creates a certain kind of environment but if you talk about interests it creates another kind of environment and another kind of dialogue well you bring up the word economics and it's often been brought up on this show and in the discussion uh, you know about uh, without economic equity and that goes as much for the Middle East and the it, well anywhere anywhere in the Palestinians or yeah. in any part of the world if you people don't have economic equi- equity um, and a future, um, then there's going to be all sorts of dissension and conflict everywhere. And so exactly. part of what, you know, I understand that we're trying to do with these processes and principles is go to what you're saying from an, to an interest-based exactly. approach, not a rights-based approach, so people can have that kind of empowerment. Then you'll go into conflict prevention. Is that the kind of um, well, long-term thinking when the program is over that people are going to have this kind of empowerment so they don't need these outside resources and institutions uh, there? Absolutely. Uh, but the idea is that, as you've always taught me in the past, is the spectrum. That it's, you know, obviously rights are very important, but it's about the spectrum. I mean, you also look at interests. And, um, you know, I mean, there there is a place for the sort of legalistic, uh, absolutely a place for it. But, um, you know, there's also a place for the more informal mechanisms. And in fact, in many societies, they work much better because they're based on relationships. They're based on discussions. They're based on, you know, face-to-face interest-based kind of dialogue. And so you have to remember that when you go into, you know, different societies that maybe your view of the world just doesn't fit. You know. Well, this is, uh, Gary, part of the discussion we had with the people from Rogers. I mean, they do a lot of multicultural stuff, and Chin does a lot of cross-cultural stuff. And, um, you know, from where you are, we always try to remember, we've had many shows here on the language of communication or conflict resolution and how different value systems, how people mm-hmm. see the world differently from a different culture, from a different ethnicity, and how do you... Um, find that common language, like even the word, the word victim and how we use it and don't use it. So this kind of, what, a, what you call it, uh, Tom Colosi has done a lot of work in this area. You know that famous phrase I like to use from the Mohawk wisdom is each culture is like a flower and one day the world yes. should be a beautiful bouquet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that with Mike, uh, Mike Miner plays a big role in some of this work that's going on. And well, I he's, think he's done some a lot of teaching mm-hmm. in this area about the cross-cultural dialogue to sit back and not talk about the issues, but talk about how, how we people talk, talk about the about issues. The issues. Yeah. How much does that kind of training, and I see here you've got coaching as a, as a toolkit, part of the toolkit. 
Um, how do you play? How does that play out? And you know, Gary, that applies to you know, right in our backyard and everywhere. We have all these cultures, so this isn't just mm-hmm. an overseas oh, idea. God, this no. is something we have to deal with every day here. Absolutely. You know, I would uh, I would recommend to somebody who who's who's trying to grasp what's going on in the world today and what's going on in our own backyard as we're as we're speaking. Uh, take a walk through Vincent Massey Park on a beautiful weekend afternoon mm-hmm. and see the different people enjoying picnic. Yeah. preparing a meal over the barbecue or what have you and all of a sudden it, it it happened to me just the other day I was driving by and I noticed a whole bunch of people out enjoying the sunshine at this time of the year we, we, we were blessed with some warm weather uh, for a change a couple yes. of days ago and I'm <laughs> they're out there barbecuing and picnicking already and it looked wonderful wow. and they, you know can you imagine when the the warmer stuff uh, warmer weather gets here and you'll see this is a this whole the whole world, this whole country, this whole city has changed immensely. Absolutely, you know the whole world. Well, yeah. And I mean, and the thing about it is, it's a microcosm yep. for what's going on. I mean, around the world, we all can't ignore each other anymore. I mean, the fact is that we're in each other's backyards, That's and it. it's very easy for us to um, to connect. I mean, we have the internet, we have tra- all kinds of travel. There's no way that we can shut people out anymore. We have to find a way to talk to each other because I actually, if we don't, I truly believe that we'll all suffer and we'll all eliminate each other instead. And that's not what I would like to see happen, obviously. We're enriched by this, you know? Mm. I think we all are. Yeah, exactly. we get away from NIMBY, not in my backyard, to YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. And, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> we don't have a choice anymore. See a project with a Montessori school in the West yes. End. And they asked me to be a judge on a sp- spelling bee. I thought he'd be a judge on a spelling bee. He's a spell it right or don't, or don't spell, spell it right. I guess we'll have a dictionary in front of me. But, you know, the, in terms of Ottawa's international cross-cultural stuff, Gary, remember that story that the mayor, was the mayor Shirelli and his, yeah. talks about being at a school and seeing, do you remember yeah, that story? Yeah, Bob, uh, uh, Bobby Carelli and uh, his his chauffeur, uh, Len, were uh, were going to a function at, I believe it was uh, the Walter Baker Center in the PM, uh, Bar Haven. Mm-hmm. And they were a little early, so they sat in the parking lot and just watched people walking into the building. And Bob remarked, I couldn't believe the different nationalities I, I saw walking by. It's like a UN. It is. <laughs> this city really has changed. I mean, it was like yeah. really, I mean, you're yeah. talking about more than dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, people. And yeah. we, you know, and, uh, you know, this ties in um, to um, another project you had done uh, not long ago. Yes. In terms of the next generation. Of the, if, like, if we don't Well, you were part of it as well, actually. It, yes, that's mm-hmm. okay. But I wasn't, I was more interested to hear what you had to say about um this part, like the next generation, is so important. Remember, we had John Miracle from yeah. Aboriginal Wisdom, and but making sure that we better pay attention because the next generation of these different cultural groups, there's potential problems ahead for well, us. Well, they feel. I mean, the, the feeling was. I believe you're talking about the uh, project that we did on Sub-Saharan African. Mm-hmm. Um, immigrants who were highly, highly educated and uh, had come into Canada and uh, couldn't find employment. And um, I guess the um, the wisdom said, well, it's it's because they they had certain types of degrees and they their credentials weren't accepted. But what we found was even their the next generation was having problems. Mm. 
And so there wasn't really an explanation for that easily found because the fact is that uh, they had degrees from Canada and they essentially had either been born in Canada or mostly raised in Canada. So that raised a number of issues. And the next generation, as Ernie said, from our small sample, and we should emphasize that it was a small sample, were quite angry. They weren't ready to sort of sit back the way their parents had and said, well, you know, that's the way it goes and that's you know they were really uh, very angry about the fact that they were they were sort of being sidelined if you will and and that I think is something that if, as you say is just a microcosm of what's happening around the world I mean people need to have a reason to live they need to be able to integrate they need to be able to be part of something and if they're not they're going to create something of their own including destroying other people's lives right because they, don't because they feel destroyed yes absolutely yeah. you know what the Kuga, the Arab Canadian University Graduate Association, where I had the honor to do a presentation on ADR, and I met them thanks to my wife Yumna, and and, uh, and they did a month later. They had young pe- young people, university mm-hmm. and young adults, uh, talking about what it's like to be the next generation. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, we take we think, oh, we've been here many many generations, as your family has, but. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't there a UN a report done in the last year or two that said that Canada's going to be facing quite a crisis mm-hmm. in the next 25 years if we don't do some conflict prevention thinking? Well, I think, yes, I, I believe there was, although I, I couldn't uh, spell out to you um, exactly what it said because I heard about the report, but I must admit I haven't read it. Um, but what I do see on my own is that uh, even even more frightening is what's happening in Europe um, because, mm-hmm. and uh, speaking to friends who, who live in Europe, and what I see in, in Europe, frankly, is a rise of uh, a lot of xenophobia um, that has risen its ugly head in Europe before and is certainly starting to rise up again. And I think that's something that we should try to halt as quickly as possible with any form of dialogue that we can. Because I, I think people are, 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 are ill-equipped in some of these countries to really deal with multiculturalism, but they, it's, a, it's a fact, if you will, it's de facto there, but they, they don't have the policies. Um, Canada, I think, actually, it does have certainly its issues, but I think around the world, people see it as potentially, and I do say potentially, a beacon uh, that can say, you know, we can live together, we can have a dialogue, etc. And I think that's a very important role for this country that we shouldn't forget. Uh, you mentioned xenophobia. Now, that's not a fear of uh, xylophones or Xerox. <laughs> <laughs> of other groups, <laughs> of if other you will. Groups, exactly. And of sort of being very co- connected with your own, uh, just your own group and your own way of being. It's a bad joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> bad boy. <laughs> actually, I was trying to, th- I was actually, you see, great minds think like a full subtle different. I was trying to think of a way to ask you to explain what's useful. First, I wanted to ask it so it didn't look like I didn't know because I didn't want to look like I was ignorant of the term. (laughs) And I wanted to do it in a way that was very respectful. And I was trying to figure out how to do it. The master here comes up with... A BS wine. No, a BS, that's barrister and solicitor, right? So we came up with a good, a great coming up with all of them Now, another fact is that... I think we need to have another break. And yes. uh, Navaldo's waiting and no uh, problem. very nicely back there. And uh, Was yes. that a good segue? That was wonderful. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk about ADR internationally. <laughs> okay. Good. It's 1246, by the way. And uh, this is uh, Chin Radio at 97.9 on ADR. And uh, Melinda McDonald and Ernie Tennis will be back with us 
after this. Hey, Roberto, what's going on, man? What you been up to? Noah, I've been all over the world. First, I arrived in Asia. Then I lived it up in Lebanon. Cuba was cool. Then I kicked back in the Caribbean. How did you pay for all this? I didn't. I just turned on Chin Radio 97.9. They bring me everywhere I want to go and so much more. Are you young with a great idea for a business but stuck in a dead-end job? The Youth Entrepreneurship Project may be just what you need to get to where you want to be. If you are between the ages of 15 and 30, are unemployed or underemployed, are in the need of assistance to overcome employment barriers, and have been out of school for at least six months, call the Enterprise Center of the National Capital Region's YMCA YWCA at 788-5001, extension 4173 for more information. The Youth Entrepreneurship Project is funded by Service Canada, the CIBC, and the National Capital Region's YMCA YWCA. Eric Polson, Ottawa's full-service law firm, is just a phone call away at 236-0939. Real estate, wills, family matters, mediation, litigation, whatever and whenever the need arises, you can count on Barrick Polson for professional and personal attention. Barrick Polson, referred by many, chosen by many, and just a phone call away, 236-0939. Barrick Polson is Ottawa's full-service multilingual law Law firm. Call them today, 236-0939. We are the voice of multiculturalism. Chin Radio 97.9. 12.48, this is Chin. By the way, the forecast uh, for uh, the, the Easter weekend uh, calls for a mix of sun and cloud and showers, so we're getting a little bit of everything. And It sounds like Canada to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's Canada. By the way, before we continue with the program, I have to ask you, Melinda. What? Uh, I, I was fortunate to spend uh, a couple of days in Bangkok uh, a number of years back, ever, around this time of year, and it was very hot It's extremely hot right now. It's uh, the hottest time of year. Yeah. yeah. It's like 90 degrees. So you, you're, you're nice to, you're, you're happy to be back home for a short period. For a short period, yeah. yeah. I actually really like being there. But do you really? Yeah, I do. Yeah. May I ask, before we continue, do you have any downtime? And if you do, what do you do there? In, oh, well, um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I've i been doing a lot of working uh, because we are in our setup phase, but, I mean, there's lots to do there. It's a, a very international city. Um, there's lots of shopping. There's a lot of beaches. There's Padia, which is close by, and uh, we've gone to places like Koi Samoy, which is close. So there's lots to do. That's wonderful. A lot yeah. of elephants walking through the streets. Actually, yes, I saw a baby elephant just outside my uh, my office. That's a, that's <laughs> which a real was really treat. a real treat. You know, I just can't understand that living here in Ottawa. You can imagine a, an elephant walking up Wellington Street. Yes. Sometimes I think we see some elephants <laughs> walking. Up Wellington Street. I've <laughs> seen a few jackasses <laughs> walk up. This is a different. <laughs> Thing, I think. Well, the, um, you know, in conflict resolution training, uh, another segue, they ox- they'll use the elephant and everybody that will touch a part of the elephant and they'll oh, describe right. something different, right? That's yes. Right. That's and right. how we have a point of view and you have to realize, uh, and sometimes if you're small like a mouse, you can still have an impact because aren't elephants afraid of They're mice? They're afraid of mice. very true, isn't it? You know, one of the uh, themes that comes out, and uh, thanks to my sister-in-law, Maya Gore, uh, who ta- asked about doing a topic on maturity as I was telling Gary mm-hmm. and people Barrick abroad, it's great people are coming up with ideas for topics and maturity and then they found this website called the International uh, Institute for Personal Meaning in Life and talked to a professor out west and in Toronto and we're going to have a show on maturity but something tells me that maturity is an underlying theme 
in this sort of ADR movement or the, the, the thing of conflict resolution and why else is there so much happening? Like, for example, mm-hmm. um, about when I was in Beirut two years ago with Yumna and the family for my first trip there, the European Union was f- funding eight Arab countries, all the lawyers doing training in ADR. Right. And I thought, wow, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, we don't maybe pay attention to this. So it's not only here locally and here nationally, internationally. And wondering what your... Um, from your perspective and all your experiences, what you see about that, the history of that movement, where it's going, would you call it a movement? Um, um, you know, what can we expect? What should we be doing as individuals in mm-hmm. our societies on, on this kind of topic? Well, I, I guess I, I do see it as a movement in a way, but I mean, I also see it as a, as a not necessarily a linear movement. I see it as something that actually goes back to the roots of how people used to solve conflicts before it was basically wrenched out of their hands. And I mean, you know, Ernie, you've worked in in places like Akwasasna, you've worked with many Native uh, groups and organizations, and uh, you know about their, obviously, their traditional ways. Well, there, these, I find these traditions, and many, there are adaptations and changes, exist everywhere, where people have these dialogues, and and, uh, my sense about ADR is it treats people the way you would like your own son or daughter to be treated if they were involved in any kind of dispute you know instead of you know distancing yourself and and uh, acting as if it doesn't matter what happens to this individual I mean to me it's a much more holistic community-based approach and looking at it as if this individual matters not just if you will the the quote crime or um, uh, the injustice or what have you but looking at all the roots of that and I think in the end that's what we have to do because if we keep pointing fingers at each other um, I think eventually uh, we are we're in a situation now where we're on the brink of I think real global disaster and so there has to be a new way of looking at things and maybe it's the old way of looking at things you know yeah, when you talk about roots and remember with uh, Rick Waller when we had the honor to do some training with the Bosnian Election Society and he said and he said uh, these are teachings go back to the ancient wisdoms of right. centuries. You know, mm-hmm. you're just talking about caring, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And mm-hmm. I saw a show about caring. I'm wondering what the view is from where you're doing the work where you can look like you're caring, but if people suspect that your intentions are not to be caring for this community, but to have an, you have another agenda, another objective behind that, care mm-hmm. that it's not going to be accepted as much and it's going to be resisted i it was really an insightful comment i'm wondering if, if well i think that's true and i think that's why it's so important to have local people who are involved and not to have things that are completely from the outside i mean i think if you come in as an outsider then yes i think you're absolutely right especially in in societies where relationships are extremely important and um, as you say, that's about that is about caring. And in in many uh, areas of the world, relationships matter more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. And we forget that actually in the West sometimes because we think, well, what does that matter? We have a contract, or we have an objective, or we have a focus. Well, it does matter because people want to know who you are, what you're about, what are your you know your real underlying intentions. And that can't happen in just a few minutes, or even a few years. And so you really have to use the local wisdom and you have to step back when you realize that 
And the more you're there, the more you realize that you don't know what you're doing. And there are other people there who know far more what they're doing. And so they should. They live there. They live the experience. You know, when you mentioned the um, the Mohawks and Aquasasi, as you know, mm-hmm. with uh, Jolene Adams and that amazing, uh, all the stakeholders there who created a mediation center against all odds with yes. all the police officers from many jurisdictions. And others came, they had an off-the-shelf solution. <laughs> when, it, you know, in fact, yeah. um, as uh, Francis Boot said, who was the leader of the War Society at the Oka Crisis, and he became part of that whole, and he did a presentation at St. Paul University recently. It was the first time since 1990, I think you know this, first time that, yes. uh, thanks to Peter Stockdale at the Master's Program, we had an open discussion about that whole experience in Aquasauce. It was debriefed for the first Wonderful. time. But one of the things was that the um, idea was they said for the first time they, had, they were able to do something themselves. Mm-hmm. in their own way, using the best of the West, but their own way. And this idea of imposing, tying it into the broad subject of the imposition of democracy through military means or off-the-shelf ideas when the best democracies evolve through the nations themselves. Isn't that one of the problems that we're having in the world? Is that just that well, simple theme that people think they have the answer from the outside? Well, I think that's uh, it's very interesting because you mentioned, uh, again, that... Um, governance project in um, in Thailand and one of the, th- the things that came up at um, that that uh, last seminar if you will for the uh, cooperation project was that democracies need to be homegrown and in that of course they have to have their own myths their own legends um, their own way of seeing the world and so one democracy is not going to look like another democracy and it's going to and that's okay because it has to be homegrown or it's not sustainable It'll never be sustainable. You can't just graft on something uh, because it's 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 bound to be rejected, and it's not bound. It's bound to be very shallow and not very deep. And uh, we forget that. We think it can only look one way, and if it doesn't, then we're offended by that. But I mean, I just I just think that's very short sighted. <clears throat> if you look at the international situation, you sort of say we want democracy, but if somebody gets elected that you don't like, you say mm-hmm. we're not going to talk to you. And and uh, as, as Ambassador McDonald yes. pointed out to me when I was before I did the Akuga presentation, there was many examples in history where countries, including Israel and the United States, started out being called terrorist groups. Exactly, and mm-hmm. then they evolved into this sort of this sort of democracy. And now, um, for us to judge others and to cut the dialogue off. Well, that, whether it's in your own family or in your neighborhood in the world, it mm-hmm. doesn't. Where does that lead? Well, also, you know, I mean, it's all. I mean, no matter what you think, uh, it's always better to have people at the table. I mean, rather than isolating them and creating, uh, you know, even more extremism and having them in their sort of desperation turn to even more extreme uh, methods, I don't see how that's helpful to anybody. You know, and I and I don't think we can just avoid these things by isolating or shunning people. I think bringing people to the table, uh, it's in some ways uh, certainly controls what happens on all mm. sides, and you certainly have a lot more influence if you, if you have people at the table. It's like the ADR roundtable, and you don't you know that story I like to tell about yeah. the house that's in disarray, and somebody phones, and somebody comes to the door, and they go to different rooms <laughs> in the house, and. The person then goes and sees stuff in the closets, meets people in different rooms, and then the family's going to have a reunion, and the outsider, the neutral, says, yeah, but you're forgetting this member of the family. Oh, they're they're useless. They're troublemakers, and they're not going to come to the family reunion. And so while they're having the family reunion, that excluded group goes downstairs and blows the house up. Oh, exactly. Right? Because they're not, they're not at the dinner table. And that's uh, it's a basic... And isn't it better to have them arguing with you at the dinner table? Yeah. 
Can you argue at the dinner table with your wife? <laughs> Every day. Oh, that's <laughs> As I learned, the best the best part of a good fight is making up after. Oh, okay. Well, we're just, uh, just uh, <laughs> so that we don't get into a bit of a dis- uh, <laughs> disagreement here. Uh, we are on the the short end of the clock now, and we're we're getting to that point. And wow. I, I just uh, it, again, it's hard to believe the it. hour just flies right See, exactly. by. Exactly. Always, I mean, that's our sixty third show. No counting, but I think it's, <laughs> it's wonderful that. Uh, uh, that Melinda is always able to take the time to visit us here. It's at great Chin, to come here, and, and uh, yeah. the door is always open. Thank you, you. Know, and, uh, thank you, and I you? wish you great success with the show. I think a lot of people would really benefit <clears throat> from this discussion, ongoing discussion. Yes, and uh, we're hopeful that uh, in the not too distant future we might get to see Ernie Tannis on television. Doing well, that would be like something. Too. So we're working. <laughs> we're working to that end as well. well my wife t- uh, makes uh, me look good, but now I'm going to have to lose weight. I uh, guess you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So. Uh, just about a minute to go before the news, and then we have our Arabic program coming up after that. Again, Melinda, thank you very much. Thank for being you very with us much to both of you. Thank you, Gary, and I uh, hope you don't suffer from arachnophobia. I <laughs> fear of spiders. Okay, I love it's a movie. I love arachnophobia. Arachnophobia. Yeah. Yeah. Arachnophobia. <laughs> Wait a minute. Don't. Okay, we'll leave that one right where it is. Have a wonderful what a, weekend. What a web we weave. <laughs> <laughs> this is Chin ninety seven point nine. Eric Polson, LLP, is pleased to present today's cross-cultural talk program on Chin Radio. Barrick Polson LLP, practical legal services with no surprises. 236-0939. This is CJLL, Ottawa's multicultural voice, Chin Radio, 